but don't diminish its seven years. Rejoice in seven years. And whether it's uh, seven more till the Lord comes back or 70, let's keep pushing on and, uh, and seeing what God will do. And tonight, I just want to really encourage you along the line of, of some key areas for you guys as you go forward. Um, this is the Sunday night crowd. This is my favorite crowd, by the way. I love the Sunday night service, and uh, I love the folks that are faithful and back. And I just want to give you four areas that I hope will be an encouragement to you tomorrow and the next week and the next week and for the next however long the Lord wants us, uh, wants us here and Terry's is coming. I've got to tell you before I go into the message that the, the, the titles I'm going to give you, the, the, the concepts I'm going to give you are not mine. The message is mine. But I stole the ideas from somebody else. I read a book called Changed Into His Image probably 20 years ago. And uh, there is, uh, he, the author of that book, Jim Berg, broke down uh, the Christian life. It's actually, it's talking about sanctification. But uh, he gave us four principles in there, and I have, they, I, they've become a passion for me. Every January, my church hears something along this line. And, uh, and I do it because I think they're important for a church as we go forward. And so, uh, tonight we're going to talk about some things I think are, are very important. One of them is that we seek as a church, as individuals, to love our God with all we are. Jim Berg calls that being God-loving. Secondly, that we be people that seek to be saturated with the Word of God, Word-filled. People that are seeking to serve their God, ministry-minded. And then people that are reaching the lost, disciple-makers. They may seem like funny little names to you, but I'm telling you, they have made a change in my life and in the church life, that the, the church I have the privilege of pastoring. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll look at these four areas together. Hopefully, it'll be a help to you going forward uh, as we uh, seek to serve the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, tonight again, Lord, we rejoice in what you have done in these seven years. We rejoice what you've done today, and we rejoice at the opportunity to continue to serve you. Lord, we, do, we want to rejoice, but we don't want to lose sight on the future as we continue to see this church uh, reach this community, see spiritual growth. And Lord, I pray that tonight we just are able to put our gaze out upon the future and would be reminded of what we need to be doing day by day. We commit this time to you. We ask for, again for your spirit to take your word and do a work in our hearts. Lord, don't let me hinder anything you're trying to do. We're relying on you and your help, your grace that's sufficient as we just heard. We pray that you prove yourself strong this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 12. Some years ago, before I went into ministry, I worked as a junior high uh, director in the church I was in with our youth group, I got to tell you, if you want to learn how to do ministry, spend some time with junior hires. It's great. You'll grow you a bunch. And I'll tell you why, because they'll ask you the question us adults are scared to ask. And then you've got to figure an answer out. And, uh, and you got to you grow so much. But anyway, I was, I was doing that, but uh, in preparing in, in, in seminary, but also uh, I worked at a grocery company. That's what I did before I got into ministry. Again, a great opportunity to learn about people and the need of the gospel is to work in a grocery store because you see the very worst of people in a grocery store. But one of the things we did with that company, the company had a major problem with people getting injured. 
people getting hurt on the job, and they had these metrics showing all these people that got hurt, and they came up with a plan to, to minimize risk and minimize injuries. And I, you might be like me, that when you hear these new initiatives from management, you think, oh, here we go again. That's what I felt like. And what they did was they made us managers go around the store and look at the, the associates as they were working and look for things they might be doing that were unsafe. So Pastor Boots was doing something unsafe. He had left some water on the floor, didn't clean it up. I'd walk up to Pastor Boots. Now, Pastor Boots, what could happen if somebody stepped on this water? He would say, well, Pastor Joel, uh, I, somebody could slip and fall. Well, that's right. Can I have your commitment that if you see water on the floor, you clean it up? Now, that was, and I would write this down. We had to put this stuff in the computer and keep the company aware that we were doing this constantly. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Do you know after we did that, about six months, the incidence of injuries in our stores plummeted? Why? We were keeping out of, in front of our associates. Safety was a major concern for us. And it changed the culture. And I'll be the first one to say I would have thought that will never change anything. But it changed something. Tonight, when I give you these four areas... I'm just simply putting these in front of you, and I'm trying to encourage you to continue to keep them in front of you. Can I tell you this to encourage you? You're already doing these things. I've already seen them. I've been here 20, like, seven hours. I've already seen these things, but I want to encourage you to keep going forward. Look there in Mark 12, if you would. First area here is being God-loving. Look at verse 28. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus has been asked a bunch of questions, and seemingly by Scripture, he's been asked these questions to try to be tripped up. They're trying to trap him, and they're coming up and asking him all kinds of questions. He's been asked by the Pharisees and the Herodians, he, questions. He's been asked by the priests and the elders, questions. They keep bringing him all kinds of questions. The last question he got was from the Sadducees. They did not believe in a resurrection. And Jesus said that, that, that the God is the God of the living, not the dead, pointing them to a resurrection. Well, the Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees. They were kind of religious enemies, so to speak. And so the, the Pharisees hear Jesus put the Sadducees to silence. And now this lawyer steps forward with another question. That's his question. Here he comes. He heard them reasoning together, perceived that he answered them well, and asked, Here's his question, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And second is like, namely, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. We don't know the heart behind this man that asked the question. Matthew calls him a lawyer. Here Mark just refers to him as a scribe. It appears later that maybe based on Jesus telling him, hey, you're not far from the kingdom, maybe he was like a, a Nicodemus type, genuinely wanting to know. He probably, though, is trying to catch Jesus in a trap. And he asked him this question, but here's the point, whether we know his heart or not, the point is amazing. You know what he's really asking Jesus? 
He's asking a question of purpose. He's asking what life is all about. What are we supposed to be doing? Now, the, the Pharisees in this time, they ask all kinds of questions. They would debate. They'd get together in their holy huddles and they would debate the law. And they would say, well, what's the greatest? And what's the greater? And what's the more weighty? And what's the lighter areas of the law? They really wanted to battle these things out. And so they would ask these questions. You know, these folks uh, took the simple moral law, the Ten Commandments, and added uh, 248 positive laws. Do this. They would add an additional 365 negative laws. Don't do this. And so it became a debate about what laws are important. What should we do? What's most important? And so when he says there in verse 28, which is the first? That idea of first is the idea of chief, most important. What is most important, Jesus? What are we supposed to be living for? What's the point? What's the purpose? If you were to bring it down to one command, Jesus, what is it? Now, Jesus doesn't give him as their favorite command or his favorite command. He answers it based on the purpose of what this is all about. What's the purpose, Jesus? What's the first Commandment. Jesus answered, the first of all commandments is hear, O Israel. That's the Shema. That word hear in the Hebrew is Shema, and it comes from Deuteronomy 6. And the people, the Jewish people, would take these and recite these twice a day. This was important to them. Hear, O Israel, our, the Lord our God is one Lord. This was hammered into them. They had to know this. Jesus takes from that, that command and he says this in verse 30, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The heart there needs to be a heart that loves God with everything it is. In fact, if you look at the way Jesus does this, he really gives you a total picture. All of your being, with everything you are, love God with all of your heart. That, that control center of our life. You know your heart, if you want to know what the heart is, the heart is really what motivates you to do whatever you do. It, the heart is what gets you up in the morning. The heart is what during the day you're daydreaming about. The heart is what you fall asleep and pillow your head at night thinking about. The heart motivates you to act. Jesus is saying, here's what I want. I want your motivation center to be directed towards God with all you are. Love Him with all your heart. Then He says, there with all your soul. Again, that heart gives us this idea of undividedness, solely loving the Lord. And then He brings in it the soul, and the soul really brings emotion and passion and warmth to our heart. So our, our heart, we're loving Him with undivided attention. We're, we're loving Him with all that we are, and it's our motivation. And our, and our soul really brings the emotional side of that to us, the warmth and the life to it, to our love. And he says, with all your mind there, the idea of loving with our thought life, that our thinking would be all about our God. Somebody asked if this was going to be a convicting message. I don't want to bring this up, but how often are your thoughts centered on your God, and how often are they distracted? I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to me. 
Our mind is to be, be uh, all about serving our God, loving our God. We're to love our God with all of our strength there, our body, our might, our strength to do whatever it is. We are to use it to serve the Lord. We're to use it to love Him with undivided attention. Again, He's got to the totality of it. What's the purpose of life, Jesus? Here it is. Love the Lord with all you are. Whether it's your heart, soul, mind, strength, love Him with everything. Everything you've got, everything He's given you, direct it back to loving Him in an undivided way. Again, in verse 31 there, He turns it to the second. It naturally pours out if we have a heart for God, we have a heart for others. That we love our neighbors as ourselves. We love them that way. In those two things, we are fulfilling the entire law. Love the Lord with everything. Church, as you go forward from 7 to 8 to 80, whatever it might be, can I challenge you, love your God with all you are. Love Him with everything you have. Give every bit of strength. Give every bit of mind. Every bit of heart and soul to love your God. You'll never never go wrong if you're doing that. Second thing I want to show you is this matter of being word-filled. To be saturated with God's word. Go, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're looking at a couple passages tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3. When you love somebody with all you are, you want to know more about them and you want to learn from them and you want to observe them and grow and develop. And God has written us His word. The Holy Spirit has inspired it for us and preserved it for us and given it to us. And here in 2 Timothy 3, we start to see kind of the importance of it. Now, in the first nine verses, we won't take the time to read it, but in the first nine verses there, Paul really says, look, Timothy, in the days ahead, the wheels are going to come off. We're going to get away from God, and we are going to be perilous times will come. There'll be uh, Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters, and, and you go through the list. You don't have to know what every one of those words means fully and know it's not a pretty picture. When we get away from God's Word, this is where we go. And our culture and even people in the church can head this way when separated from the Word of God. So when he gets down to verse 10, he begins a little bit of a testimony of himself. And then look down to verse 14. Timothy, here's what's going to happen as people get away from God's Word. Then he says, you've you've known in verse 10, my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions. He's saying, Timothy, you've known my doctrine. You've known the way I've lived. Now in verse 14 he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We ought to have a desire to be word-filled. One of the reasons why it teaches us of salvation. The Word of God reveals God to us and tells us we're not related to Him because of our sin, but He's made a way for us to be related to Him and reconciled to Him again through Jesus Christ. Paul would say, Timothy, you know about the word. Continue in what you've learned. You've learned of salvation. Maybe he's referring here to his own ministry in Timothy's life or his grandmother or his mother who taught him the scriptures and they, he, they taught him of salvation. But through the scriptures, he's become wise on the salvation. He's learned what was required and that he needed salvation. How he could have that salvation through faith in Christ. 
He's pointed these things out. As Timothy here would be dealing with false teachers in, in Ephesus, he's, he's focusing on, hey, look, stick with what you know and what you've learned from the Scriptures. And then in verse 16, he talks about this growth we have in God's Word. And here's why it's so important to be filled with God's Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Right? God has breathed out His Word to us, and all of it is profitable. Look what it's profitable for. For doctrine. How's Timothy supposed to know what's right and wrong? Well, God's revealed it in His Word. He knows truth. He knows doctrine. He knows teaching through the Word of God. So being filled with God's Word is essential for growth. Again, that becomes our rule of living. We understand what's right. We understand what's wrong according to God through His Word. So we're given doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. Reproof, showing us what's right and what's wrong. Showing us where we have been wrong. Showing us where we've been uh, confronted with God's Word. How many of you have gotten into God's Word and you get in there and you start reading stuff and you're wait a minute, I'm wrong here. It happens to all of us if we're open, if we read God's Word with open eyes. God's Word reproves us. It corrects us. It says, listen, Joel, you've got this problem in your life. It's wrong. Get this gone. This, this, this part of your life that needs to be cast off, and you've got to put on the new man here. God's Word does that. It reproves us. It's, it's profitable for that. It's also for correction. This, this idea of how to get things right. Think of it. We've been just reproved. We've been shown we're wrong. Now we're, now we're uh, showed how to get things right for correction. The Bible is, is growing us. We are corrected. And then it teaches us for instruction in righteousness. How to keep the right right. So we've been confronted with wrong. We've been reproved. We've been corrected. And now he teaches us how to keep that right. God's Word does this, does this in our lives. So let me encourage you. Be filled with God's Word. I tell our people every January probably that I want you so filled with God's Word when life gets depressing on you, God's Word is what squirts out of you. When you, when you end up like Paul and Silas in the jail at midnight, when the pressure's coming, what comes out is we're singing praises to our God. How does that come? It comes from being filled with God's Word. You're doing this. You're learning verses in here as a church. I told your pastor I was convicted. I've gotten away from doing that at our church. I think it needs to come back. And it's valuable that he does that with you, being filled with God's Word. The third thing I want to mention to you is found in John 13. This is the being ministry-minded. Ministry-minded. If you know John 13, you know Jesus is at the end of his earthly life here. The cross is hours away. And we see this tremendous heart to serve in a very difficult time. In fact, look at chapter 13 of John, verse 1. We won't read it all, but we'll just look at verse 1 to get the context. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he has come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper laid aside his garments, and took a towel, 
and girded himself. After that, he had poured, after that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. The person who loves God with everything, who is filled with his word, is going to have a heart to serve. Jesus demonstrates that kind of service with his washing of the disciples' feet. I, I, it, it blows my mind. Jesus here again, the, 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 the trials that were unjust are coming. The scourgings are coming. The disciple, his own, one of his twelve, is going to betray him. That is close. All of these things are near. And what is he concerned with? I've got a bunch of selfish disciples, and I need to teach them to serve. Do you remember when Jesus told the disciples several times, he would say to them, listen, we're going to Jerusalem. That's where we're headed here. And guess what's going to happen there? I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be put to death, and I'm going to rise again the third day. He kept telling them that. One of the times he tells them that right after that, what are the disciples doing? They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They were a selfish bunch. They're a lot like us. They were out for themselves. And Jesus is going to show them, listen, it's not about that. It's about serving others. And he's going to demonstrate that to them. He has this mind to serve. And he's going to show them that. Look down to verses 12. It says, so after he had washed their feet and taken his garment and was set down again, he said to them, know ye what I have done to you? You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. I love that, for so I am. Yeah, I am your master. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that, you sh that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. He's provided this ministry-minded example, and he's doing it by washing his feet. They should have been washing his feet. They should have been serving the master, but he, the master's the one doing the serving. And he says here, I do this to give you an example. Here's what you're supposed to live life. You're supposed to have a life of ministry-mindedness, of service to others. He says it to the extent where he says there, Verse 16, verily, verily, I send you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they go forward and they don't serve, it's as if they're saying, I'm greater than you. I don't have to serve anybody. He said, I've sent you. You're going to serve. You're to serve. There's going to be ministry-minded. Think about it. We love our God. We're filled with his word. And we serve one another. It all works together. And it's very important that we serve one another. I've seen this already here today. Again, as I mentioned, I stroll in here this morning, and you don't know who I am. Your pastor know what I look, knows what I look like because he met me way back in the day. But other than that, you guys didn't know, but you guys were serving. I could see it all over the place when we walked in. That's ministry-mindedness. Don't lose that. Don't lose a service and a heart to serve others. These instruments up here, what a blessing. Uh, tonight to hear the, the choir and the instruments. And, and don't lose that desire to use your musical gifts to serve the Lord and to be a blessing to the church. Be servant-minded. We have a, uh, you, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a self-sick world. Has anybody else noticed that? Wouldn't it be something if the world 
in this part of the town, I'd, I'd say the name of your town, but I'll pronounce it wrong. Brother Brian told me how it's supposed to be pronounced, and I can't remember now. So anyway, I'll say it wrong. But wouldn't it be something if you went into this town and they saw a bunch of people that loved their God, were filled with his word, and served one another? That would be life-changing. They don't know what that's like. They don't see that. Be ministry-minded. You can think of all kinds of things that need to be done that your pastor would love to have some help with. And there's, immense, there's a sense of being ministry-minded. Be always willing to serve the Lord. Go to Matthew 28 for the final one. As we continue on, we need to be people that love our God with all that we are. We need to be filled and saturated with the Word of God. We need to be looking for opportunities to be serving. We just have to have a mind to serve. Ministry-mindedness. And as, we, as the Lord tarries is coming, as we continue here at Mount Victory, you need to be people that make disciples, reaching the lost in your community. Jesus here, <clears throat> again, this is the end of his time on earth. He's, giving, he's getting ready to ascend back to the Father. What, what was on his heart to talk to the disciples about? Sometimes maybe you've been in that scene where you've, had that person you loved and they're on their deathbed and they're sharing. Here's what I want to share with you as I go. Jesus here as he goes says this, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What was on Jesus' heart as he leaves? Go make disciples. That word there in verse 19 where he says, go ye therefore and teach. That word teach means make disciples. And guess who makes disciples? This is very profound. Disciples make disciples. As we are, know our God and we, are, we have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been saved from our sin, we've been transformed, those kind of people are the ones reaching others with the gospel. Disciples reach disciples. And so he calls on his disciples here, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Jesus attracted a lot of people in his ministry, but these are some that actually did believe in him and did follow him. And he says to those, Make disciples. And then he tells them there, make disciples that are, that are uh, um, uh, baptizing them. After we reach them with this gospel, after we give them that truth and they, they place their faith in Christ, we are to, we are to help them in terms of this uh, identifying with Christ. We're baptizing disciples. Showing what has happened on the inside with this baptism there in the church. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. And then he verse, in verse 20, he tells them that not only are they to reach and teach, them all, teach all nations, but they're also to complete them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Disciples make disciples, and then disciples complete disciples. We are to not just reach them with the gospel, but we're to teach them beyond that. We're to teach them all things. What are we teaching them? What Jesus taught. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. This work of, of reproducing and multiplying has got to be kept near the center of what we're doing. Now listen, you're already doing it. 
We were talking at lunchtime today about the, the many thousands, I think it's 25,000 I heard, uh, that you guys, before you even started seven years ago, spread out into this community, these John and Romans, and giving the gospel out. You're doing it. My heart for you is keep doing it. Keep it at the center. God may not, you, you, you were probably going to hand out a track, and that person's going to go, I want this, and throw it in the trash can. But you know what? God will bless that effort. And one of these days, guess what? Somebody's going to be saying, you know what? That's exactly what I needed. I'm so glad you gave me this today. I once had a, I, I was, uh, just a small story in my own life. One morning I got up and I was praying and I was saying to the Lord, Lord, I haven't led anybody to the Lord for a while. I sure do need a divine appointment. I got to the church that morning and I uh, got there. The phone was ringing when I got there. The man on the other end of the line says, Pastor Joe, I'm so glad you're there. I need to know how to be saved. It doesn't always happen that easy, right? That's why faithfulness matters. But that day it did. The Lord wanted to remind me, look, and I can answer prayer. I can bring divine appointments. And the guy was on the other. I've never had, other than that, Brother Boots, never had anybody begging me, how do I get saved? It was like the, the Philippian jailer again. Hey, t- what must I do to be saved? I was like, I don't even know what to do. I'm rattled. I don't have to argue with you. You want it. That's, that's weird. Nobody does that. It did that day. Listen, there are, you're going to be faithful. Those days will come where there'll, be, where there'll be people that you want to reach. Jesus tells us to keep that as the focus, and he says, Lo, I'm with you always. This one that has all power. It's all been given to him there in verse 18. The one with all power says, I'll be with you always. So continue on making disciples. What do, we, what do we need to be about in year 8 and year 9 and year 10 and year 100? We need to be about being people that love our God with all we are. We need to be people that are saturated in God's Word. We need to be people that have a mind to serve, ministry-mindedness. And we need to be people that are making disciples. You keep these four things, I think you're going to be a, continue to be a thriving Church. It doesn't mean it's all going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going. You're going to walk in here tomorrow and you got to set up folding chairs and people sticking their head through the window. It doesn't mean that. But be faithful. God will bless your faithfulness. Continue on, as God would have you to do that. Our heavenly Father tonight. Again, it is such a joy to be at Mountain Victory Baptist Church today. It's such a joy to see what. Uh, how you have placed a burden on a family, a, a pastor, and you would lead him to this community to start a church, and you'd bring others to rally around that effort. Now, seven years later, we just rejoice in all that you've done, the church that you've grown here. We ask you this evening that you might help us to not get caught up, not get distracted, not get moved from our foundation, but to remain faithful in keeping you as the priority of our life and loving you with all we are. That we keep your word as a priority of our life. That what's preached from this pulpit, that what's taught in these classes and what's done in this church would come from your word and that your people would be filled with it. You'd raise up servants in this church that look for opportunity to serve. And that you give us opportunities to reach and disciple those in this lost and dying world. 
Lord, would you bring us opportunities and help us to be faithful about doing it? As we do those things, we believe you'll bless the effort. Lord, you get the credit for the increase, but help us to be faithful in doing the work. Lord, we commit this to you, we commit this church to you, and we ask for you to work in our hearts and lives towards this end for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.